0: The movie Saving Private Ryan. Anybody ever seen this movie? Saving, uh, ter- I think it was rated R. How dare you watch that? No. Um, <laughs> Saving Private Ryan was a great movie, so I hear. Um, but uh, it, was, it was a story uh, uh, based in World War II of uh, three brothers who were killed during the invasion of Normandy. And uh, General George Marshall in Washington finds out that this mother is going to receive a telegram. She's actually going to receive three of them. That her sons, three of her sons, she has four, three of her four sons were killed in battle. And George Marshall determines that her fourth son is actually missing at this point in the battle. He's also fighting in World War II, and he's missing. And so he he sends a a squadron of troops, he sends a, a commander with some troops to go and rescue the fourth brother of these four brothers, three of which are now dead, to rescue him so that this mother doesn't lose all four sons that she has in the war. And so he sends this commander with these, these army guys and these soldiers, and they go out to get the fourth brother and to rescue him and to send him home to his mother. And, and, and the, the movie is incredible because it kind of tracks that story of them trying to find this, this boy, Private Ryan. And so they go, and they, they eventually find him, and they, there's some battles that take, take place as they're trying to get there, and the soldiers that went to rescue him, a couple of them are killed as they're going to rescue Private Ryan, and at the end of the movie, the commander who's played by Tom Hanks, he too is shot, and he is about to die, and he looks at Private Ryan, who now they're, they're about to win this little particular battle, and he's going to be saved, and he's going to be sent home, and... He looks at Private Ryan as he's just about to take his last breath. And it's Tom Hanks looking at Matt Damon, so you know that's good. And I mean, he's looking at him and he says to him, he says, earn this. He says, earn this. Implying to him that a lot of expense has gone into saving your life. A lot of people lost their lives so that your life could be saved. And then that scene, Matt Damon, we see his face and then we see that there's like a time lapse. And it goes from his face as a young man, as Private Ryan in the army. We see his face transformed and he's now an old man standing in front of the grave of the commanding officer who brought those soldiers to come and rescue him. And we see his family now. He's a grandfather. We see his wife and his kids and his grandchildren standing in a distance behind him. And he's looking at the grave and he says... I've thought about what you said every single day of my life, and I hope that I've earned it. And his wife comes up to the grave there where he's standing, and he pleads with her. He begs with her, please tell me I'm a good man. Please tell me that I've lived a good life. Tell me that I've earned it. It's a really touching scene at the end of this really gruesome kind of war movie for some of us. But it plays on the human emotion that we have been trained to believe since birth that we have to earn our keep, right? I mean, we're taught as children, young children, that if we do good things, we get rewarded for those things, right? I mean, I don't know how how you raise or raised your kids, if you have kids, or how you're going to raise them. Um, I was a lot smarter about how I was going to raise my kids until we actually had kids, and I realized I was an idiot. But um, we have four kids, eight, six, four, and two, and our two-year-old is being potty trained right now. And when she actually does the pottying in the way that we intend for her to do that, she gets an M&M. Right. It's terrible. I know we're bribing her. Um, There's not as many M&Ms as there used to be because dad steals some of them. But she gets a treat. Right. She earns a treat when she does what we're asking her to do. Then kids get into school and they learn that they have to earn the grades that they are given at the end of a nine weeks or the end of a semester. The end of a year, they get a grade, a report card that has grades on there that says, hey, this is the grade that you have earned based on the work that you have submitted. And so they are taught that they earned a specific grade based on their efforts. And and then we, we go to college. And we earn a degree, maybe, for some of us. I remember playing sports when I was growing up in middle school, high school, and then in college. And I remember I earned my playing time, right? The way that I practiced and the way that I played and performed in the games meant that I would get more or less playing time. I earned it based on the merits of my efforts in preparation for those games. We get a job And then we learn that we earn bonuses or we earn raises or we earn promotions based on performance. And so we are conditioned to believe from birth almost that we have to earn certain things. And then if you do any type of kind of summary study of most world religions, there is an aspect of earning something, maybe earning good karma, maybe earning some good afterlife experience or earning some better life in a regenerated future life. And so there is something about my actions here, earning something that is to come. And then we look at the Bible and we look at Christianity and we look at Jesus and we see That maybe there's some of that too or what role does earning play and then Jesus talks about he is the way the truth and the life in John chapter 14 he says I'm the way the truth and the life no one gets to the father except through me and then we're left to try to figure out okay then how do I get to the father what what good things do I have to do. Maybe you look at the Old Testament and you see that there's law in the Old Testament. I mean, God, through Moses, gave to the children of Israel, which is really the the story of the entire Old Testament. He gave to them a bunch of laws. And the way that they could earn righteousness almost or be found in right standing is if they kept the law. They did all these good things. They tried not to disobey the law. They tried to do the right things. If they did something wrong, they had to make atonement for that by bringing a certain sacrifice every single year on that day of atonement or the day that they were supposed to remember that they had done wrong and they had to make right for that. And then Jesus shows up in the New Testament. He shows up in what we call the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These four stories that really for us tell the story of the life of Jesus on earth. And he encounters a bunch of people... Who are still attempting to keep the law and to put on other people that they come in contact with the weight of that law. And Jesus tries to tell them that he is the fulfillment of the law. That found in him is all the law. And so there's this constant tension in the gospels. Between the people that are trying to earn their keep, earn their righteousness by keeping the law of the Old Testament. Versus those who believe in the message of Jesus Christ. When he says that you don't have to earn anything, you just have to believe in who I am. We're going to continue a series today that we have started, We started a couple weeks ago. It's called Blueprint for Life. And Blueprint for Life is really for us a how-to guide for Christian living. It's found in the book of James. James is in the New Testament. It's a letter written by a man named, guess it, James, right? The New Testament's very tricky like that. And so James writes a letter. He is the half-brother of Jesus. He was a guy that did not believe the teachings of Jesus when Jesus was on earth. And then Jesus dies and appears to James. And James then believes that what Jesus has been saying is actually true. And so James writes a letter later in his life after Jesus has gone back and ascended back to heaven according to the scriptures. And he writes a letter to a group of Jews former Jews who have been converted to Christianity. So he's writing to that audience, and that's important for us to keep in mind. And in James, we see this this really interesting idea where he talks about faith... And works. Works is another way of saying maybe earning something. The things that we do to maybe earn something. And he, he introduces an idea, or he at least continues the idea of this tension that existed in the Gospels. This tension that existed between those that were religious leaders, keepers of the law, and those that were really followers of this new way of teaching of Jesus. And James really addresses this in James chapter 2. And there's there's a seeming kind of contradiction when he writes this with something else in the New Testament. We'll address that in a few minutes. So James chapter 2, if you've got a Bible, you can flip there. If not it'll be up on the screen james chapter 2 beginning in verse 14 this is what it says what good is it my brothers if someone says he has faith but does not have works can that faith save him if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body what good is that so also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, there is what seems to be a contradiction here based on what James is writing in James chapter 2 with another guy who wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. His name is Paul. It's the Apostle Paul. He wrote a, a huge part of the New Testament and Paul addresses some of these same issues. But in the book of Romans chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, although we'll go to Romans later. This is going to be on the screen. This is what Paul says. In Romans 3, he addresses this entire idea. But in Romans 3, 28, this is what he says. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And so he's saying, Paul is saying in Romans 3, that we who who believe we're justified by faith apart from works. And then James in James chapter 2 says that you can't separate the two ideas. So Paul has said that you can't put them together. You don't have to put them together because faith is separate. It's apart from works. And James in James chapter 2 says you can't have faith without works. If you have faith without works, it's dead. It's no good to you. He later says in James chapter 2 that if you separate faith from works, the faith that you have is dead. It's a corpse almost. So how do we reconcile these two ideas? What part does works have in a salvation experience in Christianity? What part does what we do? Can we earn any part of this? What is James trying to say to us? And is it any different than what Paul is saying to us? Actually, these two, these two guys completely agree. Because you have to remember who Paul is writing to and who James is writing to. And most of us don't really know that, but I told you right up front, and this is easily found if you read through any type of reference material, James is addressing a group of Jews who have already converted to Christianity. Paul is writing to a group of people in Rome, and he's writing it so that they would understand. If you read the book of Romans, it's really a a great outline of the entire gospel message. The book of Romans is really a foundational guide to Christian living. It's another another book that you can read. If you're kind of new to the faith, you can read through the book of Romans and really find a lot of foundational truths that Paul outlines for these people in Rome. this, This place that was the centerpiece of the known world at that point about the things that they should believe relating to Jesus Christ and the teachings of Christianity. And so Paul is trying to make sure that they understand. If you read the words that we talked about there in Romans 3, he said... For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of what? The law. He's talking to, primarily, a group of pre-conversion people so that they would understand that the works of the law, the keeping of the Old Testament law, plays no part any longer in the gift of salvation. And so he's saying to these pre-converted people, you don't have to worry about keeping the letter of the Old Testament law as long as you have faith and you believe in the person of Jesus Christ. James, on the other hand, is taking it from the conversion experience and talking to a group of people about what's happening after conversion. Remember, he's writing to a group of people who've already been converted. He's not trying to convince them of how they should be converted He's saying, you've already been converted, and now what happens? He says, what we read there, he says, okay, you have faith, you've already been converted, you've already been justified, you have this experience that's already happened over here, now what happens? Almost, almost this kind of question, okay, you, you, you've, you, you, once you believe now, how should you live? Over here, Paul is saying, how should you believe? How should you enter into This eternal life. How should you gain righteousness? And James is saying something already after that. You've already gained that. You've already gained righteousness. You've entered into this relationship. How now should you live? So they agree on this. They also agree on what the conversion experience looks like. It's also found in the book of Romans. It's in Romans chapter 10. This is what Paul writes to a group of people to help them understand how they are to believe or how they're to be converted. This is what he says in Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So this is good news for everybody in the room today confess and believe confess and believe some of you have done that some of you have not done that maybe but all that's required for this justification this salvation experience to allow us to stand in right standing to a holy and righteous god as we confess and believe what are we confessing and believing paul outlined it here in romans but we are confessing that jesus christ is lord now, that, that might sound like an empty phrase to some of us, but if we understand the words that we're saying, we're saying that Jesus Christ, a man who came to earth and said with his own mouth that he was the son of God. I referenced in John chapter 14, where Jesus said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the father except through me. So some people argue that Jesus was a good man, and he was. Some people argue that Jesus was a good teacher or a scholar, and he was that as well. But Jesus said about himself that he was more than just those things because he said, I am the son of God. So you can't just believe he's a good man or a good teacher unless you accept the words that he said when he said he was the son of God. Because if you do, you're actually saying that he would be kind of out of his mind if you don't believe that. And so if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are agreeing with what he said. You believe that he was raised from the dead. You believe that Nothing is more powerful than him. You, you're saying, I believe that nothing is more powerful. Even death is not more powerful than Jesus Christ because he himself died and was resurrected. And so I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord of everything. Lord, he, I'm allowing him to be the Lord of my life, to have control of my life, to lead and guide and direct me. So I'm having. That confession with my mouth and I'm believing in the teachings, the words, the life of Jesus Christ. If I confess and believe, then I can be saved. It's not about the works that I do. It's not about me earning salvation by doing enough good things. We can't stack up enough good things, as I was taught as a child, to ever get to heaven, right? There's no amount of good things that we can stack up to eventually stand on the top of those good things and stand before this holy and righteous God and say, Look at all the good things that I've done with my life. No, according to Paul, this writer of the huge part of the New Testament, we have to confess and believe in order to be saved. And so they agree on that part. But then James, remember, he, he talks about this post-conversion experience. Once I believe, how should I live? And so James tells this story. He goes on in James chapter 2 and he tells a story. He says, what if you came on a guy, somebody that you know, and they're naked and they're hungry? How do you interact with them? He says, what good does it do that person if you walk up to them and you say, okay, you're naked and you're hungry. Be warm and be filled. See you later. Right? And then they walk away. Guess what? They're still naked and they're still hungry. Your words have been empty to them, right? Your words have done them no good in changing the condition that they had with their life. And so James is saying to us, post-conversion, post-confessing and believing, now how should we live? When we encounter those who have need, we are to attempt to meet that need. We are to attempt to do works with our life, not to earn salvation, but in response to salvation. Because what is salvation? Salvation is this free gift given by God that we don't deserve, that we have not earned. And so in response to receiving this free gift, we now give as best we can with these works to other people. So without doing that, what does it say about us? James says it's as if we have no faith at all. That it doesn't matter what we say with our mouth if we don't do anything with our hands in the world. That one stings a little bit for me. That one hurts a little bit for me because I wonder what am I doing to show what I believe? How am I living to demonstrate the things that I believe with my heart? Is my faith dead because of a lack of... Of works, And I, I ran across this in some study resources that I have when I prepare to speak. And this is what it says. It says, we might say that good works cannot produce salvation, but salvation most certainly produces good works. We might say that good works cannot produce salvation, but salvation most certainly produces good works. Works are not meaningless. They are an important factor in revealing our faith To those around us. Jesus himself in the book of Matthew, I've referenced that a couple times. It's kind of the catalog, the stories of his life. In the book of Matthew, he himself said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He said, Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father. In heaven, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, so people are glorifying your Father in heaven based on what they see you doing, not on what they hear you saying. And I think in our culture, I don 't know if you would agree with this I, I, I would certainly say this that people who claim to be Christians are really good talkers, and I don't know sometimes how good we are at doing. I mean, we like to talk a lot sometimes. But I don't know how much doing we actually do. And so what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 5 is that it's our good works. It's the things that we accomplish with our hands that actually cause others to glorify our Father in heaven. They glorify the Father after seeing what it is that we do with our lives And so in this series, what we've been doing in this blueprint for life, if you ever looked at a blueprint, you're looking at plans for something that's being built. And so what we've been attempting to do throughout this series is come up with some plans, some plans of action, some things that we can do with our lives to really reorient our lives towards living a Christian life. Not just living a better life, because remember, it's not just about doing good things to earn something, but really to live a Christian life, to recenter our life around the things, the principles of what it means to be a Christian. And so today I want us to look at two things that I believe really help us. These are the plans of action for us to live a better Christian life. The first of these is to confess and believe. Now, some of us in the room, we, we, maybe we did this as a child. Maybe we did this as a teenager, But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't pause and reflect each of us internally. Do I really believe? Does my confession really match the way that I live? I confess with my life that Jesus is Lord. Lord of what? If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. That's what my grandmother taught me when I was a little boy. It's always kind of hung with me. What am I confessing Jesus to be Lord of? Is he Lord of my life? Because if I'm not confessing that, then I'm just reporting him to be the Lord of something else. Right? Confessing means that I am confessing. I am saying with my lips something that affects me, something that I've seen, something that I've done. If I'm not, I am testifying to something else. So confessing means that I am admitting something about me, right? If I confess to a crime, I'm confessing that I did it. I'm not confessing if I say you did the crime. I'm testifying to something. I'm telling a story about something else. But if I'm confessing, I'm confessing it about me. And so if I'm confessing, if you are confessing today, if you've ever confessed before, does your life reveal that confession anymore? is Jesus Christ Lord of you? Maybe you've never confessed that. And I would say that's the first place to start. If we're going to attempt to live this Christian life, then the first place that we start is to confess with our lips the need for him to be Lord of our life. And so we confess and believe. We believe that he is who he says he is. He's not just a really good teacher. He's not just a really good man, although he was those things. We believe that he is who he says he was, and he said that he was the son of God. And then if we wanted to gain right standing with God, that we had to be in relationship with him. And so we confess and believe. And so the first thing that we can do for all of us is to evaluate, do I need to confess? Do I need to believe? Where do we stack up in that? I think the second thing that we do is we go to work. Don't confuse the order of these two ideas. We don't work in order to be found faithful, to be justified, to find salvation. We confess and believe first. And then we go to work. James says this is a non-negotiable. James says to us, and I believe the writings of Paul agree with this idea, that if I'm not doing something after I say that I have experienced the free gift of salvation, then the faith that I claim to have is actually false. And I don't want to have false faith. It can't be enough just to pray a prayer. It can't be enough just to say that I believe. I actually have to do something with my life to demonstrate what I have received. And so I go to work. I mean, we we referenced the movie. Private Ryan lived his life, according to that last scene, he lived his life attempting to earn what had been paid for him. And that's not what I'm saying for us to do. Because you and I can never repay Jesus Christ for the price that he paid for us on a cross. That's the story. If you don't know that, Jesus Christ, the son of God, came to earth as a baby. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. And he lived for 30 years. And then the last three years of his life, the 31, 2, and 3 years, he was in ministry. Walking around, teaching, preaching, doing miracles. These incredible things that astounded people and confronted the religious people. The people that wanted to keep the law. And he would constantly cause them to evaluate what it was that they really believed about life and about God the Father. And he made some people so angry that at the end of his life, they arrested him, they beat him, and they hung him on a cross to die. And he was dead for a couple days. And then he was alive again. He resurrected. It's what we celebrate on Easter. And then he appeared, according to the book of 1 Corinthians, he appeared to about 500 people after he was resurrected. And it names names. It names people who could have easily said, no, he didn't appear to me. That's not true. they, They didn't say that. He appears to these 500 people and then eventually he ascends back to heaven. When he died on the cross, he died for you and he died for me. And no amount of good works can repay him for the price that he paid. When you and I mess up, and I don't know if anybody else in the room does, but I do from time to time. When we mess up, when we make mistakes, and we do things that we know don't honor and please God, those things are covered through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I can't go back and repay him for that. The Old Testament law would have required me when I did something wrong every year to go back and repeat payment for the things that I had done wrong, I had to go and make another sacrifice on the day that I had done something wrong the year before. And again, pay for the price that was needed to pay the price of the atonement for my sin. But the book of Romans, which we've referenced several times today, says that Jesus Christ was the once for all time sacrifice. When he died and paid the price, it never had to be paid again. So I don't go to work to repay him. I go to work in response to. I don't earn the salvation by doing the work. I don't say, hey, I'm going to do good things to repay you. I'm going to do good works because I see someone who needs food and I see someone who needs clothes. And I want to give them a similar free gift to what I have been given. Jesus referenced in the gospels he said listen when you feed those who are hungry when you clothe those who are naked you're doing that to me you're doing it unto me it's not wasted effort it's in response to what we have received so for every person in the room today for those that are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ those who are searching maybe you're not searching to those who are in the room and you've been walking in a relationship with the Lord a long time, I think it causes all of us to evaluate. What am I doing? And what do I need to do? Do I need to confess and believe? If I do, then that's the first place. I just confess and say, God, I'm a sinner. I know that I do things that don't honor and please you. But even beyond that, I'm not allowing you to be the Lord of my life. Maybe you're the Lord of some things, but I know you're not the Lord of me. And so today I confess that I need you to be the Lord of me. that I'm asking you to forgive my sins and lead and guide and direct my life. I believe that you are who you say you are. It's that simple. You confess and believe. And then for anybody that's done that, or anybody that does that today, then we go to work, we respond to the free gift that we've been given by attempting to live out in a world that doesn't honor God, that doesn't believe God, that believes that everything's God and everything's true and there's no absolutes. We put our lives around these things that say we believe that who he is is who he said he was. And we want to live in a way that shows that, reveals that. So we don't do works prior to, in order to earn. We... Get this free gift, and then we go to work. I would say it like this. I tend to have kind of one liners. I'm a simple guy, it helps me to remember it. I would say it like this I don't have a work based faith, I have a faith based work. I don't have a work based faith. I don't work to earn my faith, but because of my faith, I work. Because of my faith, I do things to meet needs, to connect to people around me, to show them the light that lives in me so that they would glorify my Father in heaven. I want to ask you to do this. Hopefully this doesn't make you uncomfortable. Maybe just bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around in this moment. We're all kind of quietly, individually searching our heart. Searching our life to determine where we fit in this. Do I need to confess and believe? Is there something that I need to do to acknowledge that I need God? That he may be Lord of something, but he's not Lord of me. And so today I may need to say, God, I believe that your son Jesus is who he says he was. I believe that I am a sinner and I need you to give to me this free gift of salvation that we've been talking about. I need you to be the Lord of my life. I need you to guide my life. I, need, I give you control. That's a hard thing for me to do, but I give you control today. Maybe you need to do that today. And if you need to do that with nobody looking around, if you need to acknowledge that and confess that, would you just lift your hand? You can put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put it right back down. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. Maybe today for those that raised their hands or even for others of us who didn't raise our hands today, we say, you know what? I need to go to work. I need to make sure that when I am living this post-conversion experience life, this I believe, I have faith, I have confessed, I need to make sure that my life reveals that. That my life honors that. That I live in such a way that people know who I am and what I am by the way that I live. I need to go to work. Would you lift your hand? Thank you. You can put it right back down. Thank you. A lot of hands. A lot of us believe that. God, today, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are a God who loves us, which we sang about earlier. I thank you that you're a God who we can pray to and sing to and gather together and celebrate and worship God I thank you that you sent your son Jesus Christ to come to earth so that we could have the opportunity to believe in him to know what your love looks like in a really tangible way that according to your word you loved us so much that you sent your one and only son to come and to live on this earth and to die on a cross so that we could believe in that and we could believe in your love because of the sacrifice of your son. And we could have eternal life. And so today I pray for the folks that raise their hand. Who need to confess that you are Lord of their life. There were hands that went up in the different sections of this room. I pray now that as I'm praying. They too with their lips are confessing to you. That they need you to be the Lord of their life. I thank you God that that's all it takes. That we just have to acknowledge who we are in need of who you are. And that God, you save us and you forgive us. And that maybe for the first time for some of these folks, or maybe for the first time in a long time, we can understand truly that you loved us enough to save us, to do the work before we could earn it. That your love for us is not conditional, but that you moved first. You loved first. You initiated toward us so God we thank you for that and I pray for those folks right now I celebrate that they have acknowledged you they've confessed with their mouth today that they need you to be the Lord of their life and God today I also pray myself included for those who raise their hand to say I need to go to work I need my life to demonstrate the work of salvation that's been given to me that the price that Jesus paid on the cross it can't just be that I with my lips say that I now have to do something that James said that my faith was dead if it wasn't coupled with a life of works unto you. And so, God, now I am a living sacrifice. I don't have to sacrifice things to earn salvation, but I offer myself now as a living sacrifice to work for you to do things because I love you and I want people to see who you are in the way that I live. So, God, I do that now. I commit myself to live for you. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray.